I've seen Charles grow. I think at this moment, he makes more money than me. That doesn't threaten me. That lets me know that I have someone in my circle who I can consult with, ask advice about, someone who motivates me to go well. He also has a wife and a family. That motivates me as well. I tell him all the time I want a wife, just like him. His success and his level of operation in his life lets me know that one, it's attainable, two, I'm in the right environment and the right circle, and that just lets me know that that's where I need to be. Tweet Talk, episode 144. Are we on the Tweet sugar? Talk, what it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Megana himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. We're leveling up around here. We're leveling up. Oh, oh, I love the production, Jordy. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I saw Jamal and um, I knew we were recording at 5.30. I was like, I wonder if you can hop on. And so I didn't tell Raphael you were coming on. I kind of wanted him to be surprised. So I actually was <laughs> you. I was in the in the studio thing. Something's going on over there. What do you mean? Am I echoing or something? Your audio's going in and out a lot. Oh, man. This ghetto. Let me see if I can actually get a computer. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not echoing. It's just going in and out. Man, welcome to Tweet Talk. We talk about right, running welcome. This, you bring- this is the real thing. We for real, for real now. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. I hear you. All right. All right. It took me a while, but I did it. I should run the intro back on y'all. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the intro came through good, man. The intro, the intro came through good. So, going on, Jamal? What's going on, man? Long time no speak. I know, my brothers. I know. I was uh, talking about Raphael, just talking about how um, you know. Last time we talked, I was still adjusting to Dallas, and now Dallas has become home. You know, I've become you know sort of a local influencer for a new hometown, and. That's kind of dope, and you know, just life is just good. I can't complain. What makes it feel like home now? Oh, honestly, Chuck, I think when I was home in Baltimore, my hometown, for years I was like unsettled in in a personal space. It was like I, it was never in peace. I'm not sure if that was the way I grew up, and I just knew any place I went in town, I would always have to be on edge because you. You grow up, you know, the areas you have to be on, the type of environment and swagger you have to bring to that. But here in Dallas, I don't have any of that. Like, no lies. Like, when I went home to Baltimore last last uh, holiday season, the second I got off the flight, a part of me switched on. Like, I was tense. I just knew the type of personality I was going to have to have while I was there for four days. And when I got home to Dallas, that weight just disappeared. So it's a level of peace in being in Dallas that I just can't explain that makes it home. Yeah. It's probably because the white people are nicer in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't see I don't see a lot of them. That's funny. Even though it's a mixed town, I see a lot more of just the mixed demographic. Of course, I see a lot, but I don't just see them. I see everybody. That was my favorite part about Dallas is how nice the white folks were. 
I was like, these people, they're nice. They are. It's that Southern hospitality. Man. Shout out to Dallas white people one time. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that like certain environments, like you find a way to cope, like you find a way mm -hmm. to survive. And like now you're in a place where you can be at peace, which I think allows you to now thrive and do a lot more and be more. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're just running around going to any restaurant you want to, driving a Beamer, living your best life. But in Dallas, mm -hmm. you know. In Dallas, I'm not even top. I'm not even top one percent. Everybody got a beamer. They don't give a damn about my car. <laughs> <laughs> there are some nice cars in Dallas. I definitely saw. Some yeah. Nice Big money, Dallas. Welcome to Tweet Talk, folks. Where we talk about building black wealth and we break down these financial tweets. I am your host, Raphael, along with my co-host Charles Oglesby the Third, JD, aka Todd Millionaire, moving to Todd Billionaire. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tweet Talk Pod. That's P O D. Follow myself, Raphael, on Twitter at Work Money Life, and follow Charles on Twitter at Real Todd Billion, because there's only one. And tonight we got our brother Jamal Patos in the building, financial analyst extraordinaire, and new Dallas influencer, as he called himself. You can follow him pretty much everywhere at Leo Graham Prince. Oh, you gotta let them know that my 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 TikTok is Jamal W Vito. So I'm using the real name on that. Ooh, yeah, this TikTok is popping. We should really talk about how he got his TikTok popping. How <laughs> many followers he has? But he's gone viral several times. He's getting free tables. All this really cool stuff that's been coming from his TikTok, and I don't think we've had him on here to talk about that. So, man, TikTok influencer Jamal, man, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, man. I, I, I'm actually really humbled uh, by the influence because I, I that was not my intention when I did it. Like, and how it how it came about is real cool, and we'll good we'll really get into it if you you want that um, throughout the episode. But yeah, I, I'm I'm humbled by the people who follow me and, and retweet my stuff and allow me to voice my opinion on a variety of Dallas, you know, entertainment, food, and activities. I think what's cool is. Really, you were just somebody who moved to Dallas and wanted to experience Dallas, and you just mm -hmm. documented the process. You didn't wake up one day like saying, hey, I have this grand idea that I could go to different restaurants and boom, boom, boom. It's like, nah, I really want to see this stuff. Like, this genuinely intrigues me. I want to go to new spots. I want to try new food. I want to talk to the bartenders, talk to all these people. And all you did was capture it on, con on, on camera, and that was content. Yeah, and that's honestly, that's what I learned about TikTok. Uh, and I like to tell people, because um, there is a niche in Dallas where the people are Dallas uh, food influencers. That's not me. I am a Dallas explorer. Like, I do food activities. Like, a big thing I did over the summer with, uh, or early fall was the state fair. I like to get immersed in the totality of Dallas culture and a lot of that is the food but I also do activity and cool things that I want people to experience but I think you hit the nail on the head and the video that sent me up and started building this brand was I had gone to a couple of places that were elegant and fancy and cool but I, I woke up one day and decided I wanted to be a little greedy a little gritty I said I've been showing y'all too much grits and not enough brand and I decided to go get a cheese stick first cheese steak and daps 
And I went to this place just literally called the best Dallas cheesesteak. They didn't call they didn't call themselves Philly cheesesteak because I was going to judge it on a whole different level. But I went in there and it was a hole in the wall, my guy, like a hole in the wall. And my commentary on it from the black aunties coming in to their own special sauce they had to the menu to, you know, how I talked about it really just set the video up. And I mean, up to this day, it is still my most viewed video and I still get notifications of people commenting on it. I think I got a, uh, a half a million views on that one video and that really started sending up my ascent. And it wasn't just the video. People really got involved in my accent, the way I reference thing, my Baltimore slang. Like I realized that the one thing I thought TikTok, I thought Twitter was the platform where people really craved authenticity and your uniqueness. No, it's TikTok. They want to know you in a day-to-day environment, who you really are, who are you. And that's the platform. And that's how it kind of got started. I want to find this video so we can watch it. Cause we have that ability to do that. <laughs> Let me find this. It'll, you'll have to go back at least maybe 50 or something weeks. You'll, it'll start off with my Nikes uh, in my shoes and my car. Um, you don't have it pinned? No, it's not even my pinned video. Like Because other videos have done other things since then. And it, even though it's my most viewed, it's not necessarily my most interacted video. So that's a different viewership and co- uh, comments. Uh, I, I rate them differently. But it actually... Still, I don't make enough videos that it'll take Charles long to get back there. But I think if y'all can give me a second while I'm doing this... Half a million um, views. Not bad. I, yeah, I think it is. I think it's like three, four hundred thousand, something like that. I, I can't remember. But if you go back, I think I might be able to send it to Charles on on his TikTok without cutting out the audio and see if he can bring it up on his own thing. Hey, that I've been showing y'all too much glitz and not enough grit when it comes to the eatery out in Dallas, and that's just not fair. So I did some research and found what is supposed to be the best cheesesteak in all of Dallas. So growing up in Baltimore, the way I did, I spent a lot of time in Philly, so this is a high statement. So I decided to check this out. Walking in, I definitely felt comfortable. It felt like a hole in a wall. I'm used to those, so it was like, oh, maybe this food going to hit a little bit. The menu had an assortment of things, but you could tell at the bottom the cheesesteaks are featured, so that must be their bread and butter. So I decided to get one, and I was going to get it exactly how they cook it, because you got to give them a fair assess. Initially, I fell out of place. I was like, am I in El Paso? What's going on here? Then the aunties walked in. I was like, okay, I'm definitely in the right place. The fries came with a special sauce, but I told them to put it on the side. I wasn't going to try too much. I tried one of their specialties, something called the pepper cheese steak, right? They have their own special sauce, the Jose special sauce, and then they got this other one, which is kind of like the Chipotle, the mayo special sauce. I tried them both. And here's the result. Cleared my plate. You hear me? The fool was snapping. And for an added bonus in this inflation society, you can get a free refills. We're going to take these small wins. Check it out in Bishop Arts District, all right? <laughs> it's dope. Because, so I would ask you, like, have you gone back to doing more content like that? Like, do you do more like the real gritty stuff or you just like, what's your um, angle now? Uh, I'm... And it's funny you brought that up. I was like, I haven't been to a gritty place in a while. Uh, the last one I did was a couple of months ago when I went to a different cheesesteak, a black-owned cheesesteak place. And that one actually built itself as a Philly cheesesteak place because the owner was from Philly. And they snapped. That was another video. So I am integrating that in um, in a lot of 
uh, my content. It, it just kind of goes on, as you can imagine now, I'm getting a lot of requests of people wanting me to come see places and things like that. So it takes me a while to work through that. But I, I am still learning Dallas, and I, I'm starting to realize that if I want to find the gritty places like that, I'm going to have to go to a DeSoto. I'm going to have to go to a Mystique. I'm going to have to go to South Dallas is where the real gritty part of Dallas is, and that's where I'm going to get it. But all of the content gets mixed in. I tell people all the time, I just don't go to the fancy spots. I go to the hole in the wall because I'm comfortable there, and I want people to realize that Dallas is a regular city. It's just not all old money and oil money. We are regular hmm. people here. And, you know, we got, you know, we got the cheesesteaks. We got, I found this Chinese joint with some shrimp fried rice. I got to go make video about that because I found that on a lunch break where I really wasn't even prepared to video because I left my phone in the car because I was just running in to get something real quick. But yeah, yeah I'm definitely doing content like that. Um, do you think that food at independent restaurants is better than food at like chain restaurants? Yes, definitely. Yes, because there is no assembly line process. That food is made from muscle memory and how the person is feeling that day and that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Those chain restaurants, it's just a normal process. It's like, it, it, it's nothing unique or special about it. Oh, three cups of spot. No, a lot of those uh, hole in the wall places or those one off places, ain't no recipes. They making it off memory. Like the 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 executive chef is making it off the the muscle. I went to this new place that's a uh, non change uh, from a guy who actually two guys where they're up from from up north. One of the partners is the executive chef in the back, and the other guy runs the front office. And the food is just mm. something. They had this specialty of collard green egg rolls. The next time one mm. of y'all comes to town, I'm going to take y'all to get these egg rolls. You hear me? Like, <laughs> they are bomb. <laughs> and it's just like, that's because that's their own unique recipe. There's no assemblies line or process to you know package that that's that's you can only get that there with their special sauce there's no other place i think what's cool also is you kind of are just being you so mm -hmm. like your true personality comes across in these videos and you're popular because of it i think that's dope and, and it's that's the most humbling not only is it humbling and I want to say this because I'm not, Charles knows that I'm not a person who, I don't seek people's validation. Your opinion of me doesn't matter. You know, I'm comfortable in myself. But the fact that I can be exactly who I am on TikTok and people rock with that. They, they, mm. they're asking my opinion about where should I go? You know, I, I, I hear tons of people. There's a, there's a barber that I started going to here who I made a video of him cutting my hair and every time, cause I actually have two barbers here. Every time I go and see him, he says, I got another client from, they say they found me on your video. I can't, yo, like uh, he appreciates that. He's like, without your video, 10 of my clients wouldn't be my clients. Now one man. lady brought her son. Man. She, she was like, I was looking for a barber for my son. I didn't know where to go. I ran across this guy's uh, TikTok on, uh, on TikTok. And you cut his hair so good, I decided to bring my son. She didn't even follow me. I just popped up on her For You page. 
Mm. <laughs> like, like that's that's the organicness of your reach. And yeah. when I make these videos, I don't do it from a place where I'm trying to sell the place. I'm giving people my honest critique. Even when pe even when people offer me to come try out their establishment, it, they're on a lot. Uh, it's starting to build now, but I tell them, look, even though you're going to comp me this and that, my review is going to be honest and authentic. If I don't like your stuff, I don't like your stuff. No so matter <laughs> Yeah, like there's no amount of comp that's going to make me lie to these people because I, I covet my reputation for being authentic and honest. So I'm not going to upsell your, your brand or anything if I do not like it. I told a girl, uh, a young lady who just reached out to me, I think she's trying to get me to wear some stuff for her boyfriend's brand, which is not a problem. But I told her when she sends me the stuff, make sure to send me a return address, because if I don't like your product, I'm not going to keep it. I'm going <laughs> to review it and send it back. Yeah, it's like I'm not I'm not going to be fake and phony with you. And I think people can respect it. That's funny. Raphael, you know it's your time. It's your time, man. Hit him with the tweets. It's good, Jared. So you you um you kind of brought it up before, but I saw you had a tweet where you said my my job watch game used to be weak, but my boss watch game though. It's funny because um I was looking at I so I posted a a picture today because I was looking at that I've I've done ten thousand sales of the Freedom Pack, which was kind of cool because. I want to say I've sold collectively maybe like 20, 30,000 copies of the options course and the options on in the freedom and the, in the whatever it was. And so I was like, man, like, I hope I can recreate that. I hope I can recreate what I did with the options course. And so seeing that I hit that number with the freedom pack really made me kind of feel accomplished. So I created a post to put it on my Instagram because sometimes bragging about your success in one area will attract people to you in, in other areas for other things. Mm -hmm. And so I, the picture that I posted was a picture of me on the job and the caption was like, started in the cubicle, now we here. But I was looking at my watch. I was like, that watch is whack. I was like, that watch is not fine at all. And uh, then I started thinking, I was like, man, it's crazy. Like my watch game now is way different, but like granted when I was working the job, I was slowly getting there. Like I think I bought my Bell and Ross when I was working at the job and that was like a $2,000 watch. So I was slowly kind of getting some sort of a watch game, but like the fact that I was wearing like those watches, I mean, and granted I was doing it to support my friend's brand and all that stuff, but I was like, man, like that's the best I can do. So um, I think the, the gym there is just like entrepreneurship in a lot of ways opens up a lot of doors. Uh, to different levels of different things where on this computer that I'm talking to you on right now, there's a picture of a, a two-tone uh, gold and maybe stainless or white gold. Uh, I think it's a GMT. And I was like, I want that. But I was like, I need to find a way to get that. I need to find a way to put something in a certain place, get it to 20K, and now I can get that watch. Whereas when I was in the job, I was like, man, hopefully they give me a bonus. Hopefully they do something for me. And uh, I don't know, it, it kind of, it motivates you, it inspires you, but I just was reflecting on like how the jobs can kind of limit you, man. They limit you in a lot of ways, like respectfully, like if you got a job, I love your job, 
But for me, I just always knew I wanted more. So I had this tweet once and I was talking about how like your grind has to match your ambition. And the reason why I tweeted it is like, I'm starting to realize like certain people don't have the level of ambition that I have or the ambition for certain things. Certain people don't want a $20,000 watch. And so a lot of times what will happen is I'll be looking at somebody who's like slacking or not building that business or not investing. And I'm like, man, y'all whack, y'all lazy. Really, they, just go, they don't have the same level of ambition. They don't have that desire to live that life, to drive that car. I just happen to have like, that as an aspiration so i do things differently i think that's a good point i think you you mentioned something there and it's something i've been contemplating lately as um i'm at this point where i uh, you know i love finance i love my i love my field i'm not purpose filled in my job so that's how i know it's time for me to transition and things of that nature and the one thing and it's a small thing that's eating away from me and charles will know this because we worked in the field before i got with this co- company, I used to be able to buy any stock and trade I want. Now I got to get now before I buy a company, I got to send it due clearance. And because y'all have it in the portfolio, I might not be able to buy it. I'm like, no, that's not how I want my portfolio to be built. I want the freedom to do that. And so you're right. Like the ambition of that is making me think like, Jamal, you got to get out of here. You got you love the mm. field, but it's, you got to get to a place where you could buy what you want. And that's not even a high bar. Buying a stock should be the minimum you can do. But because of SEC rules and SEC, I got to run it through this. No, I'm out of here. Y'all can have it. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, I met a white dude a while back. He was in IT. IT. I think he went to work for a government agency or something. He was in there. He had to sell all his stocks in like this one company. I'm like, really? Like, damn. Yeah. They don't want to show any sign of impropriety. It's like, man, that sucks, bro. I think he made a nice penny, but then he probably had to pay taxes on that joint, too. Capital gains, shorty. Capital gains. I needed a hat, man. I needed a hat. I, I, I You know, I've been trying to get my hat a few seconds ago. But what I was going to say is that <laughs> I recently got, um, like, I would say three, maybe four tattoos. And I've been sitting here thinking, like, do I really want to sleeve it? Do I want to have tattoos on my forearm, too? Because, like, once you go that way, you can't really go back. But I was, I was like, I think I kind of do, because I don't want to go back. You, sh- you should. I'm thinking about getting a sleeve on this arm, too, <laughs> something that represents my transition to Dallas, so we can sleeve it up. We can be sleeve it up, bros. Yeah, I was thinking about That's getting, good. like, some wealth-related stuff. Like, I was going to get, like, financial freedom. Um, I was thinking getting, like some interesting stuff. I wanted to get like a Rolex logo. I wanted to get like a Rolls Royce logo. I wanted to get like even some book covers like 10 Neck Rule, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Just kind of create like a mural, like a wealth mural. Maybe That would be dope. There. That would be dope, Chuck. Like, no lie. A year yeah, from now, he going to be having dollar signs and TC on his face and shit. Like. <laughs> nah, <it's not> <laughs> the thing is, is like, the funny thing is, is like, I was at the golf course one day and I saw this guy golfing and he had like a, a forearm sleeve and it actually looked cool. Like it looked cool to like be doing something that's conserve, like be conservative, but also have an edge. And so like, that's mm-hmm. the thing is if I have on a suit and I have like my, my shirt there, but you can still kind of see it. That actually looks kind of fly in my opinion. So I don't know. I'm just thinking. It has it it adds mystique all the time. It's kind of like, for instance, to mention what you're saying with the suit. Like when I meet girls and they see me in a suit, they just uh, they just imagine me just just book smart, finance words, and all that. 
Like, ma'am, you don't know it's a hood nigga underneath this finely tailored suit. Like, please relax. Nope, <laughs> How the ladies, ladies in Dallas treat man? You know, Chuck, I still ain't found a wife. I'm not you. I'm jealous on that portion. But the women in Dallas are interesting. Uh, because in the end, in the one end, I think they're very used to the game. They're used to a man who talks the talk but doesn't walk to walk. So the one thing I will say about me is my intentionality and the intensity of my uh, personality and the the pressure I apply when I'm trying to pursue something. It's a lot. They be like, I don't think they'd be ready for that. They'd be like, Oh, I thought I was ready for this, but this is too intense. I can't really deal. So. On the one hand, I feel like that's a blessing. You know why? Because you weed out the wasting of the time. You weed out the women who are not for you. You weed out the women who probably initially weren't even uh, interested. They just saw maybe the potential benefit that they can get. The one thing I see a lot of is when I tell women I'm in finance, it's not even the money I see go off in their head. They think about the financial knowledge I can give them, which is fine because, you, you know, you know, I love giving away free financial knowledge. But like, don't waste my time with the with the presumption of something long term when you're just trying to get the knowledge. I'll give you the financial knowledge for free, baby. We ain't got to do this. <laughs> do you think that uh, I, I would say. Is, uh, I don't know if this is connected to my, my thing. It says default internal microphone. This isn't plugged in. Dang it. I need to get my, my high-quality audio. I got to switch that. But um, really? We've been oh, hearing you high-quality the whole time. Right. Oh, it doesn't sound that. I, when you listen back, you can tell the difference. But my question would be, what's your take on all this this like, this like gender war going on on TikTok? And you got men creating posts, telling about talking about women, and women creating posts, talking about men. I, I think what's interesting in my perspective is, a lot of like men are on there and they're focused on like the substance of the relationship. But I see a lot of women on there and all they're talking about is what you can buy me, what you should be paying for, what you should, what you should be doing for me. And I think men are just like, like, bro, like pump the brakes a little bit. And it's like, you have this, this, this battle where like everybody's kind of like complaining about the other person and nobody's really making any progress because nobody's listening to each other. Nobody's like, that makes sense. Let me see if I can incorporate that. It's like, you wrong because of this. You're wrong because of that. I think you're. I think you're right on that effort, and of course, I see it because my stuff comes. It attracts a, a barrage of different people. Um, that's why I've been trying to talk to the men, just talking about not even taking the women out of it, like talking about what we can be doing better, how we can be better communicators, how we can be better rationalized. But I think it's sad because. There's a lot of generalization, for one. And two, everyone is so more interested in being right and voicing their victimization and airing their grievances. And again, another problem, the one flaw about TikTok is, or with any social media is, if one person's viral post goes viral, they want that high again. They want that attention again. So they're going to recreate the content that gets them that engagement. Like yeah. for me, of course, my, my reviews of Dallas has gotten me that engagement, but I am not stuck in one thing. That's why I tell people all the time, I don't just do restaurants. I do activity. I do. I did a video in traffic one time that blew up because Dallas traffic is horrible. Um, so, but the negativity, the, the fact that such negative uh, negative videos 
a woman made a video about, oh, um, what did she say? She says, uh, she says something about, oh, I think everything that niggas do is weird. Uh, and I don't know what it is. I just think it's weird. And that got 150,000 views. She got 5,000 comments of women on there agreeing. And then there's a, you know, there's the placating either way. Men telling what real men are supposed to be doing. Women making videos, placating the, oh, it's not all black men's fault. It's the avoidance of accountability, the over-victimization, the over-blaming, and it's just too much. And I try to yeah. stay away from it. Raphael, you're older. What's your perspective on this? My perspective on it is... It's, it's just straight crap, man. Like it's like he said, like oversimplification, stereotypes. Like people, some people are just using it just to get views. Some people, I think, actually believe it. The problem is, it's a waste of time. It doesn't help us the way we, they go about it. Like some people, it's like so many different ways about it. Like people ducking accountability, people blaming other people, and whatever it is, it doesn't help. That's the problem. And I think what's interesting is like TikTok has been known to kind of like, like they say how if you look at TikTok in China, it's productive conversations. It's kids doing cool things. It's things they want their kids to see so they can grow up and be good people. And then we get the TikTok that just promotes dysfunction. Like we don't get the TikTok that's like, hey, marriage, 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 family, 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 that kind of stuff. It's like people arguing about dates and who's going to pay what, not like trying to figure out how to just do life together and win. What can they get out of somebody else? What can somebody else do for them? How can they get the most while doing the least? And it's unfortunate. I said before, I was like, like back in the day, there were single moms. Now we just got single women. Like y'all just got to skip the kid part. You didn't actually figure out the relationship part. That's the missing piece. The missing piece was y'all don't know how to relate with each other. And so since you no. can't relate, but you're smart enough to not have kids, now you're just single people with cats. And, and, and part of that is the algorithm itself, Charles. Like, and people got to take the blame. It's like, I'm making a point when I see like those relationship posts that you see that I tell TikTok that I don't like it. I even go a step further and I block mm. somebody who continuously promotes that type of content and I don't have that popping up. You know what I see um, in my TikTok? Like you said, I see my Gary V's. I see old boy who be out there cutting hair randomly to strangers and having co dope conversations. I see the, uh, the real investor. I see you. I see other people and I realize that I need to curate my algorithm. I only mm. want to see positively into the community. I only want to see black love. I only want to see black marriages. I want to see corny cup black couples uh uh arguing about sharing food that's the type of stuff i want to see stuff that's very healthy and like you said conversation stuff and career driven i, I y'all can spare me the love and hip-hop and the drama i don't give a damn right and the right. gym is that you got to curate your algorithm by what yeah. you like what you dislike and what you ask to not see more of for sure. That's what China's doing. Like you said, they purposely show they, they kids certain things and then they let the rest of the world see whatever. Like, destroy yourselves. And the problem <laughs> is like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, 
the real problem is that it is it's starting to affect real life. Like in real life, a lot of these things you don't see this stuff in real life. Like people are actually having real relationships, getting married in real life and stuff. But I think we at the point where it's like the social media is starting to affect real life. So where people believe in this garbage that they see. Rafael, you're making a point because there there's one thing and I'm and I'm starting to see this recently and I'm actually glad there are black women who are making TikToks that start off with exactly this line. They're like, when y'all be arguing about not taking men on dates, I'll be quiet because I take my man out on a date. He takes care of me. He provides for me. I takes him out on a date and I pay. Go on, sis. Pay for that black man. Right, right. Because it's like, I just, <laughs> I don't understand the logic behind getting everything and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. How about you just, you give stuff and he gives stuff and y'all just have more stuff. <laughs> what an amazing thought. He's still I, heard a line early, I heard a line last week that says, love gives, lust takes. And a lot of these, and a lot of what we're seeing on both sides of it is people are lusting after each other. So they're unhappy when they can't take for someone. But people who really love, like you, giving to your wife and son, you do it happily, putting money into his his brokerage account, providing your wife the type of lifestyle and home that she wants. I don't see you on TikTok complaining, paying the mortgage <laughs> and all that. I see you talking about normal, happy marriage stuff like, man, my wife doing this, but you do it happily. And that's because it's coming from a place of love and not lust. You, you're... Every day you decide to build a life with her. Y'all get up every day and choose each other over and over again. What people are, I, I, what I find that is people are are complaining and unhappy as because people won't let them manipulate them. People won't let yeah. them use them. So you're unhappy that you can't benefit from someone else allowing you to finesse them. That sounds like a personal problem. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like Charles has said this before too. It's like. It's too much of like trying to get over on each other. Like we get to the point where mm -hmm. you're trying to get over on each other, get something for nothing. Like, why are we doing this, man? It's the why scarcity mentality, man. The scarcity mentality is also a poverty mentality and it permeates throughout the culture in different ways, not just the obvious ways. And so that scarcity mentality thinking that if you pay for a date, you broke, you don't have any more money, you can't get anything back is going to keep you with your hand in your pocket, not willing to give to somebody else, not realizing like maybe if you give, you'll get a much greater return back. Maybe the guy that you're waiting for is on the other side of your giving, not on the other side of your taking and receiving. I don't Yo, know. Yo, that's a bar. That's a bar. That's a bar, Chuck. Charles said, I make too much money for my wife to work. You know what's funny is I took that from a little baby line. He said, I make too much money for my mom to work, and I just switched it up. So, so I, I do that a lot with rap lyrics. I'll just take what they said, and I'll just, like, switch it up a little bit. Yeah, but my thing about the whole gender war thing is one of, one of the biggest problems is that it doesn't, solve, it doesn't help us in any type of way. Like, if you say that women are to blame or men are to blame or but men are better or women are better, at the end, if you if you win the argument, you still have nothing. Nothing. 
I think yeah, it's like an endorphin hit. Like people, people want that emotional feeling that can feel the emptiness in their life by getting on and attacking somebody else. And so, like that's why you'll mm. see people. They say hurt people, hurt people. You'll see people who will hate on somebody else's success because they're unsuccessful. But you don't see successful people hating on other people's success because they already got their own success. They don't have any reason to speak on your success. They're cheering for you. They're happy. People in happy marriages are cheering for other people in their relationships. They're not over here like, I hope that doesn't work out for them. But people who want that are. It's the the level of insecurity because I think people talk, say a lot of philosophical stuff they don't believe. For instance, I have no Mm. problem saying in this entrepreneurship, I've seen Charles grow. I think at this moment, he makes more money than me. That doesn't threaten me. That lets me know that I have someone in my circle who I can consult with, ask advice about, someone who motivates me to go well. He also has a wife and a family. That motivates me as well. I tell him all the time I want a wife just like him. His success and his level of operation in his life lets me know that one, it's attainable. Two, I'm in the right environment and the right circle. And that just lets me know that that's where I need to be. But people say, oh, your your network, uh, your network is your net worth. But y'all don't believe that shit because somebody who makes more money than you threatens you. It, it, it hits your insecure mm. spots. Someone who's in love or a woman who takes takes a man out on a date and pays. Uh, you call her a pick me because that 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 stirs the trigger in your thing because you took care of somebody bum ass baby daddy for a year. Now you can't take care of another man. So you're holding on to that or a man, like you say, who has his hand in his pocket, then gone out on a couple of first dates and girls ain't called him back. Now he's like, oh, I got to get something from shorty before I take her out. Like, yo, that's that scarcity mentality, yo. Y'all talk about manifestation all of the time. Manifest, manifest some success and some positivity and watch your life change around. Mm. Mm. Folks, folks be manifesting these relationships and not these trips. <laughs> y'all been on those trips, all right? Damn it. Yeah, so let's let's life. let's kill it with the gender wars, man. I mean, even worse than the gender wars. For me personally, what's worse than the gender wars? Well, it, it can't get much worse than the gender wars. But what's a really annoying to me is the whole Black Americans versus everybody else is black. Oh my and god, bro! Is that still going on? <laughs> oh, that's oh, yeah. going on for sure. That's going on for sure. And I don't understand it. Like, I don't forget the first day somebody asked me one day, like, you black or you from the islands? And I was like, both. Like, <laughs> what do you mean am I black or am I from the islands? Like, I don't know where where we got this thing where only Americans are allowed to call themselves black. Oh, there's some weird stuff going on, man. It, it's, it starts with the Africa. It, it's a little bit because... For some reason, the Africans think because we were brought over here stolen, let's neglect the fact that some of their ancestors sold us into slavery, but that's another day, that we were over here and enslaved for 250 years, and they were over still in the motherland that they are more entitled to be black, when, let's not forget, like, you suffered under the same oppressor. We were in slavery, you were colonized. They stole your natural materials. We all have the same experience, just in a different context. There is no mm-hmm. competition of who's more black. We've all been raped, brutalized, and oppressed. We should be united in that collective that we would be further along had these other 
ethnicities had not stolen our, our ingenuity, our innovation. We gave the world science. We gave the world math. We gave the world architecture. We gave the world spices. We gave the world culture. Everything that has ever come from this civilization has come from us, and we should be united in that fact. Yeah, plus, like, when they talk about reparations, they try to say it should only go to, like, full-blooded Americans, black Americans. And I'm like, y'all not really thinking, because in America, the black population is 13 to 15% of the whole entire population. If you try to break it down between who is quote-unquote full-blooded American or foundational black American versus immigrants, then what's the number chopped down to? Like, we don't have no power as it is. Mm-hmm. If you start chopping it up, like, it's just going to get worse for us. It just doesn't make and any well- sense. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. And it needs to be said, when we're talking about reparations, yeah, we're talking about American reparations, but we're also talking about the Europeans owe some reparations to Africa themselves. Like, let's not let the, the Anglo-Saxons off of this. Like, y'all colonized that whole continent. You owe them some reparations as well. Don't China ass in there while you're at it. Hmm. <laughs> and that's what we got to say. And Charles, you had but you had a tweet where you said, "I hate when people criticize black products, saying you can learn that for free on Google." <laughs> yeah, you can also make food at home for free, but you go to McDonald's anyway. Um, what I found is usually criticism is based in like validity, but that doesn't mean that they're right. So when people come to criticize you, usually they don't just come with like some off the wall stuff that doesn't make sense. They're going to use something that they can actually legitimately say, like you're charging too much or whatever that might be. And the problem with that is just because your basis is valid doesn't mean that they're incorrect. And so like that's the struggle. That is the struggle that we have is and it's tough to kind of put into words because this, this is something that like goes on and we don't even realize is going on. But I'll use Kanye, for example, like Kanye said some stuff that would actually uplift the African-American community if they're hip to it. And they're like, well, it's anti-Semitic. Well, both things can be true. Both things can be true. But maybe just because it's anti-Semitic isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like as crazy as that sounds like anti-Semitic to them means you making us not rich anymore. But if we make you not rich and we gain control over our own talent, our own abilities, and we can capitalize on that, maybe we could be out of poverty. So that's the way that we attack things is we'll attack it with something that's credible and valid, even though, and it kind of like destroys the message. I saw this quote today and it said like Dave Ramsey gives out terrible financial advice. And he also said, Dave Ramsey also has helped a lot of people with their finances. Both things can be true. So it's possible, like we don't tend to accept the nuance. We don't tend to give our own people that grace that both things can be true. She could be helping a bunch of people with information that she found on Google that she organized and coordinated so that they didn't have to go out there and search Google for hours and they didn't have to go out there and watch YouTube for hours. 
So just because it's free and it's on YouTube doesn't mean that what she did wasn't valuable to people. And so like, that's the problem that we have is you can destroy what somebody is doing with something that is factual, but it doesn't mean that what they did or was doing is all bad or even bad at all, in my opinion. Um, in the book, Hundred Million Dollar Office, he talks about how like you have to get over the idea that you're charging a lot of money for something that is relatively cost you little to money to no money to do. And he gives examples of um, pharmaceutical companies and how it costs them so little to manufacture these drugs, but then they go and sell it to you for thousands upon thousands of dollars. I just saw a tweet talking about how like insulin got the patent for insulin for like a dollar and they just hiked up the price like crazy. And so in our community, you're getting called all kinds of names. You're getting slandered, you're getting shouted down, all these different things. But in other communities, they're like, bro, like you just created jobs for everybody out here. So like on one hand, it's kind of like, all right, I wish you would have just gave it away for free. But on the other hand, it's like, why do we have to do everything for free? I feel like that's just mentality that we don't believe that we're worth something because we've been told that we're not worth something. And so when you see somebody charging for something, you're like, what are you doing, fam? We ain't worth nothing. Give that away for free. You should be helping us for free. You should be giving us free resources. And I'm like, that's crazy to me. I should be giving you free free resources so that you can go get money just for the culture. Like that doesn't make any sense. We can all benefit when we all engage in commerce. It shouldn't just be a situation where I'm just giving. That's like what happened. That's what they expect from the black community. We get to take what you have. You don't get to charge us. You don't get to expect any value out of what you have. I get to take from Africa. You don't get to have any value in what you have. I get to take from all these other countries and you don't get to see any value. But we need to start seeing more value in everything that we do. I don't even care if they say it's free and it's on Google. There's still value in that. People pay because they got value. And so we come in and we criticize. We knock out his knees for underneath it. And we don't realize we're our own worst enemy, man. We are our own worst enemy because we'll come in and we'll destroy it. And then we'll justify it. Chuck was elegant. And I'm going to talk about it on a more practical level. Google is cool and all. But reading does not mean comprehension. Plenty of people can read Google, but don't don't mean you can implement that. This is a good example. People have been asking me all year, Jamal, what's been driving up inflation? That's a basic economic one on one question. Supply and demand. People still don't even understand how inflation works. You buying a car that you don't necessarily need and when prices are driving up keeps inflation up, but they can't realize that. Could you read the stock market price every day? Yeah. Could you maybe develop a strategy on a daily basis? Cool. But maybe you lack the skill and the know-how to implement it in a way for, that I can do it in a very practical manner. And yes, because I can do that, whether it takes me 10 minutes or 10 hours, my services and skill set comes at a price. In the words of DJ Khaled, yesterday's price is not today's <laughs> price. It's expensive out here. It's expensive for me to keep sharp and things of that nature. So Google has made information more accessible, but it hasn't made people smarter. It just means you can ask Siri, what time is it? Siri, when's the last time something like this happened? Siri, like, I want people to stop equating knowledge with understanding and comprehension. Those are not two things. Some people can't just read a Google and understand how to apply, how to execute, how to 
gather that information. As Charles said, the young lady made a whole, um, what's the word for it? Made a cohort of information or uh, what they call it. A, um, when you put it into a thing, a file, a depository. Thank you. A depository of where the information could be housed. That's not easy. That's not an easy feat. So you have to pay for that. So when people say things like you can just get it on Google, if y'all were able to implement it that simply, you would be rich already. I find it very telling that people who say you can get it on Google is always some poor motherfucker who working who can't make additional <laughs> can't make an additional income but wants something for free. No, you're going to pay for it. Just like you pay them white people, you're going to pay these black people. And you're going to pay more. We need to give black people the permission to charge. You have the ability to charge. And people who think that you should be doing it for free, they ain't black. If you, if you expect black folks to just be out here getting pimped and giving away their hard work and their labor and their experience, I think you ain't black, man, because you don't really care about the, the upliftment of black people. You just want to keep them in that same place that they were. And it's 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 unfair that that narrative gets to be like the prevailing narrative. But it's like, what can you do? Because then when you are the minority that says like, no, you have the ability to charge. Now you're getting called names. You're getting slandered. Um, I think you got to move and not even care what people say. I think what's interesting is. Like a lot of the reasons why I am the way I am is because I grew up isolated from a lot of things. But then once I got to a certain place, I started putting myself back in those environments. And I didn't realize like, that's a mistake, fam. Like you need to stay gone, like stay gone because the mentality is just so toxic. Like the neighborhoods are just a reflection of the mentality. It's not that the neighborhood is bad because it's bad. It's like the neighborhood is bad because folks just don't be thinking right. They don't have the right thoughts. And so it just manifests itself in trash on the street and broken windows and cursing folks out and beating your kids all crazy and all that. Like that's just the way that it manifests. And so you can't even have a, a real argument or conversation with these people. You just got to know what you believe and live that. It's like, okay, that's what you think. Cool. I don't even got to entertain it. Cause if I stop to entertain it, I might get indoctrinated with your way of thinking. And I don't want to think like you, I want to continue to exist in this space where we're building, we're growing, we're supporting, we're inspired, we're motivating each other, we're all this stuff. Like that's the world that I want to live in. And just like he said, you got to curate your news feed. You also got to curate your environment. You got to curate who you allow around you. You got to curate who you allow to speak to give you an opinion. Like I don't want your opinion. I don't even care how rationalized and thought out it is. I don't care. Right, and it's. And that we're, we're in a, and I think Charles hit a nose that we're in the, I think it was, uh, damn, I, I read this uh, in the education of the Negro when they was talking about the educated Negro sometimes is the, is the community's worst enemy. No, I was reading The Color of Money where it talked about how black people blame black bankers for the failure of the community. When the bankers were themselves trying to finance and instantly and capitalize the very businesses, but because of your way of thinking, thinking that black bankers couldn't be trusted, you kept the community at a stalemate. You wouldn't invest your money. So we got to get away from this thinking that 
that the culture that money is the problem. Now, I, I, I think Charles and I disagree on this one thing. I think people's unhealthy obsession with money is the problem, but money itself is not evil. I want you to get your money. I want you to get your bag, but don't let that money become an idol. Get the money with some credibility, get some money with some integrity, but money is not an issue. Every black person should charge and charge a fair price. If you're giving out a, a premium product, give give luxury thing. I, I view Todd Capital on the same scale as a Chanel, as a Herm, as a LVNM. Why is a foreign Italian racist company more luxury than a black one? Who the fuck says? Hmm. They say by, by saying that we can't have it. That's what it is. Man, we got to start doing that. We got to start putting the tweet on the screen when we talk about it. Oh y'all can oh y'all get really leveled up with the technology. I just saw Hackett's uh I just saw Hackett's uh comment. <laughs> Shout out to to, to Andre Hatchet. Brother Hatchet, I, I I always gotta say this, like and Charles was there. Hatchet touched me in a way when we were at that brunch last summer because when I came into that room, I and I told Chuck, Chuck this uh, a couple of times. I didn't know how I would be perceived. Like me and Charles, I knew Charles and I would vibe because we had been doing things together for years, even though this would be the first time. But I knew how some other people might take me from my tweets and all that. And Hatchet was the first person I saw when I came in the room. When I say that brother greeted me with love, he was happy to see me in the room. And that has always stayed with me. And that always made me realize, go with you loved, man. Hatchet gave me love like we were brothers he ain't seen in a while. And I think more of the culture and more of black men need to be surrounded by that. We need to surround each other in love and greetings of happiness like that. For sure. Dre is the man. I remember when my, part, my place went up in flames. I had Dre up. I said, Dre. I just lost everything in the fire. I need some clothes, man. Send me some stuff. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I got you. Send me a package. <laughs> I straight up, I no joke. He'll tell you, I, I did that. I said, man, I need to send me some stuff, man. I got the stuff right here. And, I never yeah. thought about that when you when the when the place went up that you had stuff in there. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I lost everything. I, I, all I had was um, the stuff on my back. And it was damn. like my work clothes. It was like, damn. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Damn, Did I send you something? You sent me. You sent me money. That's what I thought. I know I sent you something, man. All right, cool. When did this happen? What did I miss? A year and a half ago. Oh, bro. We can talk later. That was a year and a half ago. And that brings me to this uh, tweet that you had, Charles. You said people approach you differently when you own your own. I was mm -hmm. talking to my mom, and uh, that was actually her tweet. We we're having a conversation. Shout out to Mother Ogilvy. We went to um, we went to this event. Um, it was a black. So interestingly enough, it's the, it's the Alliance of Black Women Accountants uh, Association, and they had this uh, they had this um, a scholarship uh, lunch. Their second annual was probably like maybe a hundred people there, hundred and fifty pe people there. It was really really good. But what's funny is. I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, this was my idea. Like when my mom, when she, uh, 
like we used to talk about this because I mean, I've always been a part of organizations and creating organizations. I was like, you should create an organization of like black women who are accountants. And this was like maybe like a decade ago and they did it and it's just blown up. But it was just kind of cool to see like I had a part in making that happen. Anyway, my mom, she has her own firm now. And so like when I saw her at the event, she's just like moving throughout the room. She knew everybody. She was interacting with other firms. And she said that like in her experience, she feels like when she goes to these events, people interact with her differently now that she owns her own firm as opposed to when she was working for somebody's firm. And I told her, I feel like you kind of walk a little bit taller too when you own your own firm and you can walk in there as an owner and somebody that people should know. And I told her, I kind of had a similar experience. It was like, when I walked in there, like I was like part sponsor of the event, not like crazy sponsor. I sent them a little bit of money for the program. Um, but I was like, I felt like I'm somebody that you should want to know. And I didn't feel like I was under the weight of like the company that I was working for and having to kind of shrink myself because I got my own thing and I have my own thing, whether they want to talk to me or not. Like, I'm not looking for a job opportunity. I'm not looking for anything. And so we just realized like there's these benefits that come when you are that boss. People look at you differently. They talk to you differently. They interact with you differently. They want to know who you are. They want to speak to you. They want to work with you. And so it's just interesting that she's had that experience and I could see it. I could see the glow. I could see like her presence as she was interacting with other people. Um, jobs a lot of times can make you feel small. I've always felt small when I was working a job. Even when I look at that picture that I posted today, I was like, man, like, I just, I didn't feel as empowered as I feel now. I didn't feel as powerful as I feel now. I didn't feel as influential as I feel now. The firm that I was working for, he was damn influential. He was doing a lot of the things that I get a chance to do today. And I was telling my mom, like when I was working there, it's like the boss was famous. I was like, I want to be famous. I don't want to work for the famous guy. I want my name to be everywhere. I don't want to just be working for the guy whose name is everywhere. So you go to this place and they're like, oh, you work for him. Oh, you work for him. We know him. We don't know who you are. And so that's just what I've experienced is like there's side effects that come from business ownership that don't have anything to do with watches, don't have anything to do with cars, don't have anything to do with investment returns and have everything to do with your self-confidence, your self-esteem, your sense of pride. And that's what I think like Dame Dash harps on a lot is Dame Dash isn't the richest, but he is damn confident and proud of himself and nobody can say that they own him. And that's what he fights for. It's not always about just being dumb rich. Sometimes it's about just being free. And Chuck, mm. I think what you're talking about uh, and what you and your mother is experiencing uh, uh, both is that's what real influential people are. I know we throw the word around influencer about social media and things like that. But your mom influences the accounting industry in her field in the city where you live. People want to know her because she's a subject matter expert. That is an influential person in matters of accounting. You're an influential person in matters of options and entrepreneurship and things of that nature. And that's really what's it about. Like, and I think everyone should strive that because I think Bill Clinton said it once very, very potently. He says, not everyone can be rich, but everyone can be impactful. 
And you can do that by setting yourself up in a way and being an owner, as you said, and being influential and being a subject matter expert and things of that nature. Because I feel a bit of that uh, when people ask me about matters of finance. Like when they when they ask me about it, it's because I walk and talk in it like I live and breathe it. Like, I am not going to take nonsense about y'all just throwing random financial literacy information out here. Like, it's incorrect. So, when you, when it is a level of just, you know, that reputation, that influence, just knowing that you are a mover and a shaker. Just writing down notes, man, as I'm getting ideas. (laughs) 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 Gotta do it. Gotta do it. Charles, we were talking about the gender war. You got to type it in so we can put the tweet on the screen. You were talking about the gender war earlier, but you had a tweet that I think you've touched on this before, but you said you can't expose people to a dual income lifestyle when they only know one income struggle. They would think you can have this lifestyle for free. (laughs) We got to skip that one. We'll go back to that one next time. (laughs) <laughs> I lost you. Did, did am I am I the only person? Did you talking? No, like you muted. We couldn't hear you. No, we can't hear you. Take yourself off mute. I think yeah. Um, plug, okay, mic. there you go. Yeah. I'll type the I'll type the tweet in. <laughs> you said one of the things that makes a lot of these online businesses so easy to slander is a lack of a brick and mortar presence. Are we still too uh, outdated? Hmm. So the reason why I tweeted that is because I think that the thing about digital businesses is like it kind of exists in the ethos. And so people don't think it's real. Even though you have real impact on people's lives, people question whether it's real. And so if they can't see it, if they can't touch it, they can't feel it, it's easy to say it's fake. It's easy to say it's a scam. It's easy to say all these different things. But if you have a storefront where they can walk in and they can buy your burger or they can buy your shirt, it's very difficult to attack that. It exists and it's real and it's there. Um, Part of the reason why I share this is because I do want to get some sort of like brick and mortar establishment going on. Um, We're looking at doing an event space. Um, I thought about even opening a gym and uh, just different ideas that I have, but I want to I want to get some space and I want to rock out. Um, I was inspired when I was at uh, the plug, and they have this huge built out space where they have like a photo studio. They got a recording booth, and they also got the podcast studio all in one space. And they also have like a little bar area. And I was like, I want that. I want a physical location where people can walk in and do things. I haven't yet figured out what it's going to be. But that's what I want to do. That's kind of what I want to move towards. Even and the crazy part about it is I, I want to have it like where there's still a digital and online presence associated with it, because I don't want to just be completely brick and mortar, but also don't feel like I want to be completely digital either. I think I think it also goes to, again, to what Charles was saying about the legitimacy, because you only see them bash the black digital businesses. Last time I checked, I ain't been to no damn brick and mortar Amazon. I ain't been to no brick and mortar Twitter. Like, so, hell, Uber, Uber itself is an app. You using your own car. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you need a brick and mortar for? Right. It's very easy. It, 
people, I, I feel like the one thing that's very interesting is whenever black people get on something, all of a sudden it's a scam. All of a sudden or it's ghetto. illegitimate. All of a sudden it's ghetto. Um, we saw this. Remember um, during the pandemic, uh, people, uh, black people discovered Tulum, and then all of a sudden people was like, oh, I don't go there. That's ghetto. Like, y'all just finding out about that. Everyone wants to be, they want this mystique of exclusivity. They and to be honest, what people really why why black customers want black people to have black brick and mortar stores is it's the cachet. You want to be seen. They want to be able to go in there and videotape and judge and say, "Ooh, this tapestry is ugly. Ooh, why they put mm. the store right here? Ooh, their location in the ghetto." Like, no, we need to stop. One, we are we're always too late to the table and too late to the party we need to be innovating why would we go back to an old way of business where the industry is clearly moving away that's going to cause you a expensive overhead that's going to cost you more money to operate when the digital platform is expansive it's less uh is less constraining like i don't think people realize how illiquid real estate is charles will tell you it's not something you can easily get in easy in and out of right like corporations right now are sick to themselves because what this pandemic exposed is damn my my workforce can work home and be more productive but i'm stuck in this 30 year multi-billion dollar lease i need to get the hell out of this brick and mortar situation yeah this is why I need a board of directors. Jamal's going to be on my board of directors. <laughs> so, one person that's on my board of directors already was on the show last week. And the next person's on my board of directors on this week. And then the other person's on my board of directors is probably still in the comments. And that's Dre. So I got Daniel, Jamal, and Dre on my board of directors. Man, I would be, I would be honored that, that you would think my opinion is so valid because like that's again, that, like that's kind of my dreams. Like my my, I think I've always told Charles my my chief goal is to be valuable in the era of information and influence and making sure that the process is correct. Like no brick and mortars, no people don't even got enough volume for a brick and mortar. Why would they need a brick and mortar? Yep. Yeah, yep. it's, right. it's right. said they always want to say, um, but you don't have this, but you don't like. If you if you get a brick and mortar, then it's like, but then you don't have a bathroom, or you don't you don't have this, you don't have that. Like, why you? Raphael, I am crying because that's exactly what they would say. You don't got a bathroom. <laughs> I think the funny thing is, is like if if Uber was like black owned, then they'd be like, oh, they make you drive your own car. Wow, they don't even yeah. Oh, DoorDash. They out here, they don't make the food. Like, that's the kind of thinking that we need to exist in. I was watching the ET uh, podcast. And he was talking about how, like, he was sitting in a room full of billionaires, but it wasn't a room full of workers. It wasn't a room full of people out there picking up the tools and doing the work. It was a room full of thinkers. And so, like, as we're having this conversation, I was just like, man, I need to start thinking of putting plays together. So I don't need to necessarily be the expert. I need to hire the experts. I don't need to be whatever that might be. I need to be the person that puts together this box, this system, 
that has all these different people in different roles and those people report back to me and now we're cooking. So, yeah. Oh, you're saying something because a couple of years ago and there's a line I never forget. Uh, John Henry, you know who John Henry is, right? Yeah, used to be yeah. with Harlem Capital. Uh, with uh, with Harlem Ca- uh, Capital, yeah. He's saying it's he's saying it's okay to be. He said it doesn't matter if you're the brokest partner in the deal. Just be the smartest partner in the deal because someone has to execute this plan. Someone needs to be the operational guy. Somebody needs to do that. He says sometimes when you're in these deals, the guys who are writing the check, they don't have time to do the day-to-day stuff. They don't have time to negotiate the contracts. They don't have time to set up the, the systems and all that. But they will pay and invest in somebody who does have the mechanism, who does mm-hmm. execute, who does do that. So I think Charles' point is valid because – he doesn't always have to be the executor. He doesn't always have to be the guy to put the plan. But as long as he's in the room and adding something to the deal, that always works. Right, right, right. Now we're going to change gears a little bit. Seems like Charles is not 100% on the on the tech job thing. It's not working? No, 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 no. I was saying you're not 100%. Oh. <laughs> Charles is not convinced. People, you said people came on here hitting on college degrees, and that's why they are on here trying to get a $3,000 shortcut. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's, so I put out this tweet before that, and my tweet was, this is the Todd Capital way to get into tech. Go to college and get a computer science degree and go get a tech job. And I remember at a point in time, people were slandering college like, oh, it's not worth it, student debt, blah, blah, blah. And so they started trying to kind of shortcut the process into tech. And people were getting hired through the pandemic, but they didn't realize the reason why they were getting hired is because they had a shortage of workers. People were just choosing not to work. And so they needed to get somebody to fill those seats. And so they started bringing in people who didn't have the education or truly the credentials to fill those seats. And they're paying them great money. And so people thought they caught a windfall. And they thought it was going to last forever. And now we're seeing all these mass tech layoffs happen. And guess who's getting laid off? Those people. And so what they thought was a quick fix isn't a quick fix. It's not a permanent fix. And the only reason why I bring it up is I remember when we went through this 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 situation where like tech Twitter was really like hating on entrepreneur Twitter. They're just like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. why would I do that business stuff? You're hating on nine to fives. But look at me. And so I feel like we got to stop being against each other. Like if you're in business, that's great. If you work in a job, that's great. This morning we talked about convergent versus divergent thinking. Convergent thinking means there's only one solution to your problem. Black folks ain't got no money. What's the one solution to that problem? Like, no, there's multiple solutions to the black people getting money problem. It's not just entrepreneurship. It's not just working a tech job. It's not just college. It's not just whatever that might be. There's a lot of different ways to get there. When I express my passion about jobs and entrepreneurship is as it pertains to me. If what you're doing works for you, God bless you. I just know what I want it for myself. And so sometimes I'll tweet and people think that I'm talking about them and I'm just talking about myself. I'd be motivating myself. I'd be inspiring myself. I'm telling myself these things. They just get the ability to get inside of my mind. Your Twitter really is just like your mind. It's really not even you think or like expressing things out loud. It's you thinking these things putting it in there and it just happens to be in a public forum. It's a really unique kind of thing. But I would just say that, I mean, 
the only reason why I brought it up is because of the bashing thing. Like if you just chose not to go to college and you did the whole boot camp thing, that's great. But doing the boot camp thing and slandering college is the problem. That's where we fail. Is where we start hating on other stuff to promote what we love. I'm not perfect. I think Charles has a point, and Charles, you were right because I was my Twitter was not suspended when this happened, but they were in the early days of the pandemic talking about you know again to your point the Google stuff and you can learn in here and all that, and I think you and I were on the sideline. No, I don't want my financial advisor to have learned finance from Google. I don't want my doctor to have shortcutted in learning something. And college serves a narrative and it's about networking and things of that nature. But we had talked about it and not to toot my own horn, but I told people that this windfall of these hirings was not going to last forever. I told people inflation was going to be a result of those pandemic checks and all of that type of stuff comes to fruition because the market, the market itself sets itself like that. Like, of course, you're going to get an easy job when there's 11 million open jobs and 20 percent of the labor force got laid off overnight. These companies got to ramp up production. They need that body in the seat. They need all of that. So it's easy. But when it comes time to for these tech layoffs, last hire, first fire. And especially mm. when it comes to the less seasoned, the less capable, you went and got a boot camp certificate, which is all fine and good. But this person with a master's in information systems and analytics can do four people's job in one. So who getting laid off here? Yep. Yeah. I'm glad, Charles, you, you, you cleared that up, though. The whole spectrum, um, we shouldn't be hating on each other because I was going to say, like, I kind of disagree with you. Until you said that, because like, I think people, black people, they 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 kind of win the right frame of thinking when they say like, oh, this tech thing is a kind of like an easy way to get to that income. That's what we need to do get get the income. The problem is when you get the income and and then you stop there. You just take the income and go on trips with it. But but um, I think also to his point though, you remember Raphael? They were getting these uh, jobs. Remember, uh, and shitting on job- entrepreneurs. But not just that, they were job hopping they, to raise the salaries. They thought that that was going to last forever. Oh, I got a 90K offer. Let me stay here 90 days. Now I got this 120. Let me stay here six months. Now I got this 180. And we were just saying, that's not sustainable. You're, you guys are not going to be able to constantly job hop and raise these prices like this, eventually the companies are going to adapt and you're going to have a problem. And what happens when an economic slowdown happens, as it has, and these tech companies that rely on low interest rates to expand and build uh, their headcounts start laying people off. When it comes to resume comparison, yours is not as fat as someone else's. Mm. I say keep up with the tech stuff, but just don't stop with the income. Um, I think it's cool that black folks are jumping on it. I think it's cool that they, 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 they online, like spreading like free information, like how this is how you get on. I, I like that. They selling courses. I like all the aspects of it, you know, just not the, don't, don't shit on other people. Like, like Charles said, there's more than, there's more than one way to get to it. And don't, mm-hmm. don't just blow the money on trips. Cause 
that's not sustainable. Um, I think it would be cool, like, if he was the whole tech thing, like, if you just like spot, like, find some little neighborhood that ain't too too great, and like, let's sponsor some kids, like, give them some laptops, and get them in the boot camps that you're talking about. Not just the adults, like, let's get the kids in. Like, let's take a whole block. Now that's some infrastructure that we could get behind because that's really the sustainability. What we need is not the the get quick fixes. We need a long term pipeline of ecosystem building and infrastructure where it's like Charles's son and my daughter are in STEM and building companies and building networks and building internal community infrastructure where, yeah, we're, we're in white spaces, but oh, these black spaces are prospering too. Yeah, man. Let's sponsor a block and get some kids. Get them some good Wi-Fi, some good internet service in, the, in this little neighborhood, and get the income up in, in this little neighborhood, man. Then the the whole remote job that makes a real big impact when you just bring the income to a neighborhood and people can still in an affordable place while they get the income up, and they can stay there and build the neighborhood up once they get the the income up, stuff like that. But I think tech is yep. great. I just don't want us beefing, man. Can we not beef? Can we just like do that? Because I think that the problem with that, like, is you create enemies. So when you shit on somebody, you create somebody that's now waiting for it to not work out for you. And so it's like, just be successful and be happy about it. I think that's one of the things that the Jewish community does well. And one of the reasons why they don't like the, the dope things that they're doing being broadcast is because now you put a target on your back. And so like, they're very unassuming for the most part some are flashy but for the most part like you go to la a lot of the jewish folks they're just chilling man like even when i was working in the firm like the guy he just drove a regular old bmw he had an aston martin but he didn't drive that to the office he just drove a beamer um his dad just drove a little uh whatever it was a little lexus um the other guy when i was working at the firm he just drove a range rover he didn't drive a rolls royce he didn't pull up stunting some do but the smart ones don't. If you really want to keep what you have, you don't want to show everything that you have. Because then you're going to create people who want to take what you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like these rappers. Yeah, y'all know Young Boy Never Been Broke was in it? <laughs> I was I'll in the comments. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, man, man. When you were talking earlier about when you when you go back home, like your mentality just shifts. It's just it's crazy. Like Charles says, like the mentalities is the problem. And I've been seeing like a lot of like math Hoffa clips, and like some uh, it's amazing. A lot of these rappers now are saying like what we thought, what we think is normal is not normal. Like they're starting to realize like the things we 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 think of as normal is not normal. Like beefing with with people on the block that in the same situation as us constantly looking over our shoulder looking constantly looking over our shoulder because we think we might die today like they're saying like this is not normal thinking like we are traumatized and it's just not conducive to any sort of solutions or or wealth building for our people man like 
And people are lashing out because they're traumatized. That is a very insightful point, Raphael. People are often laughing out because they're traumatized, they're undiagnosed, and they have no place to put that venom or that hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're at the bottom and you, you're trying to get some scraps and you're trying to make it and you don't think you can make it and then you think that, man, I got to share with these immigrants? Like, forget competing with my brothers that was born here. Now I got to compete with immigrants too that look like me, but like Charles unity, said, scarcity, scarcity mindset. The community needs unity. We need to all realize that it's more profitable and more conducive to unite and build together than, you know, compete for, you know, pig, compete against each other. It's, it's more than enough room for multiple service businesses, more than enough room for people to sell their, uh, their courses, more than enough room for hairstylers, barbers, cry cleaners, all that. Like, if people really wanted to get to the money, Charles has always said it, like you would focus on being a valuable asset, be a service to the community. It ain't got to be sexy. Everybody always want to be in the sexy industry. Everybody wants to be famous. I'm going to tell you right now, I'd rather be rich than seen. Hmm. That quiet money, that, oh, damn, Jamal died. Yeah, fifty. Y'all know he was worth fifty million dollars. Get the fuck out of here. What he was doing? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and we need more. Like, I never forget, man. Um, one of Charles's um sorority. I'm not for fraternity brothers. Links me up with somebody on a, a interview, and she said, I'll never forget. She said, Africans are all people in Africa. Africans deserve to have investors that look like them. Mm-hmm. Like we should be doing more in in Africa, like investing. Like we should, this should be more collaboration across the ocean, man. For sure. I think it's about that time, Raphael. It is about that time. We're gonna wrap this up, man. And be sure to follow us on across all the socials. Follow us on Twitter. At Tweet Talk Pod, that's P O D. Follow Charles on Twitter at Real Todd Billion. Follow myself on Twitter at Work Money Life. I guess we could follow Jamal when he finally gets his account back. Leo Grand Prince. We're going to put in a, a, a word with Elon Musk. Please tell Elon, I thought this was a free speaking country. What's going on? <laughs> follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. And at Todd.Capital and at Real Todd Billion and again at Leo Grand Prince. Follow us on TikTok at Tweet Talk Pod. That's P O D. Follow Charles on, on TikTok at Todd.Capital and follow Jamal on TikTok at Jamal W. Vitos. That's J A M A A L W V E T O S E. I appreciate you for the spelling, my guy. You got follow the uh, the last tweet. Last tweet, not not too nothing too uh deep here, but we all need it, man. Product plus automation equals passive income. Put it together, get you some product, like Master P said. 
episode 144 of Tweet Talk the Blackwell podcast. I'm your host, Raphael, along with my co host, Charles Oakley, the third JD, and our guest, Jamal Patos. Yeah, out of here. Yeah, yeah. Yes, this is Donald the Voice, the official podcast editor and producer of the Tweet Talk podcast, featuring, of course, Charles Oglesby and the man Raphael Husbands. And look, man, if you just listen to this episode, then you know exactly what I'm capable of. You know my swag, you know what I can do. And so without any further ado, I kind of want to give you a special offer for Tweet Talk Podcast episode listeners. And here's what it is: head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you have podcasts or video editing needs, let's talk. And of course, I'm give you a real, real nice deal. But you have to mention that you're a Tweet Talk podcast listener. And this offer isn't going to last forever. So if you're on social media or you have a business or you got something going on to where you need somebody to edit and produce your content, come and holla at your boy. And I promise to take care of you, our dedicated listener to the Tweet Talk podcast. Again, head over to DonaldTheVoice.com and hit the contact page and let's have a little conversation. Okay, back to your day, your evening, your morning, whatever's going on. Peace.